I don't have a light on down here. Is this going to come? Okay. I'll just talk loud until you can hear me here. All right. Okay. Any, any golfers with us tonight? You can tell I'm not a golfer. If you're a golfer and you can see how I'm holding this, you can probably tell that I'm not a golfer. Uh, but this is, this is a club I, I borrowed from David Berger. It's a one iron, so he says. He says it's, it's less than worthless at a garage sale. No one, no one is going to touch this one iron, no name, one iron golf club. Uh, but, you know, the, the thing about golfing is uh, you don't just play with one golf club. Uh, if, you have, if you're a golfer, you have a whole bag full of, of golf clubs. And if you were to ask a golfer, what's, what's the best golf club? I, I don't know what, 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 the, what the answer would be. I mean, it depends on what you need, right? If, you, if you're on the tee and you need to hit it really far, that's, you want a certain golf club for that. Uh, if you're sitting in the sand, well, you want something that, that can get you out of the sand. Uh, if you're close to the hole, you want a putter that will get you in the rest of the way. Uh, so there's not one best golf club. Uh, it just depends on where you're at and what you need. Uh, and so you don't play with one golf club. Okay? Can you, you imagine a golfer who, who decides, I want to I play the whole game using this, this one iron here. I want to drive with it. I want to uh, putt with it. Uh, I'm going to just use this one club uh, and that's just not how golf works. You don't play golf with one golf club, okay? So I want you to just, just hold this lesson in mind for a little bit, okay? We're, we're going to come back to the golf analogy in a little bit. But for now, all you need to remember is you don't play golf with one golf club, okay? We'll circle back around at the end of the lesson. What we're talking about tonight is atonement, okay? Asking the question, how does the death of Jesus save us from sin? And I've added this answer to that. If you think you know the answer, you might not have thought about it enough, okay? Uh, because it sounds like it could be a pretty simple question, uh, but I, I hope we see that once you start digging at it a little bit, uh, it starts to get kind of complicated. Uh, and so, uh, it's not an easy answer. We're going to maybe spend the entire month of November trying to answer this question. Now, the word atonement, I think, is an interesting word. Because uh, this is, you take the word at, you take the word one, and it's to make things at one. Okay, so you have two different things that are separated, and to atone them is to make them at one. And the first time I heard this, I thought this is the silliest little, like, cheesiest, you know, mnemonic kind of device to, to remember a word. Uh, and then you actually look that up in the dictionary, and that's, that's really the, the history of the word. That somebody just took the word at and the word one back in the 1500s and made a new word, atone. Uh, and it is actually uh, some of the earliest usage was from the English Bible translators. Uh, guys like William Tyndale needed this word to, to describe what's happening in the New Testament. And so he, he just uses this, this new word, atone. He uses it in Romans 5 uh, to talk about 
what Christ does. And then from there, it gets picked up, carried over into the King James, and a word is born, okay? Uh, but at the time King James is using that, it's, it's a new word. It's only been around for a few years. Uh, so this idea of taking two things separate, putting them together. What we're talking about with atonement is a couple basic facts from, the, from Scripture. The first thing we know is Jesus died, okay? And as a result of that, our sins are forgiven, okay? So, so far, we're, we're, this is still pretty easy stuff, I think. Uh, we're not going to get a whole lot of disagreement about these two basic facts, okay? Jesus has died, and because of his death, our sins are forgiven, covered, uh, whatever word you want to use there. Uh, he has dealt with the problem of our sins. And, I mean, this is pretty easy to find in Scripture as well. I'll show you some verses here. A little, maybe a little small, but I think you can see it. Uh, so we have it in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Paul says, I, I pass on to you what I received. And this is of first importance. Christ died for our sins, okay? So it's these two facts, these connected facts. Jesus died, and our sins are dealt with, okay? Uh, in, in Matthew, this is coming from the, from the Lord's Supper. Uh, Jesus uh, takes the cup, and he says, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so here he's using this, this is my blood, as in this is the, the blood that is part of this death, okay? Uh, the, the blood that was shed is what we'll, how we will say it. And so the blood that was shed brings about forgiveness of sins, okay? First uh, John will say, the blood of Jesus, his son, God's son, purifies us from sin, okay? Same thing here. The, the blood that Jesus shed when he died purifies us from sin. Or we can look in Ephesians, another passage from Paul, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Okay? So this is what we're talking about with atonement, that Jesus has died and he has dealt with our sins. And so far, I mean, this seems pretty simple, right? Uh, pretty straightforward, Let's, let's just stop here. We'll go home, and we can watch the World Series, okay? Uh, this is, is pretty easy to, to figure out, I think. But this is really just dealing with the what, okay? What happened, okay? What happened was Jesus died, and our sins are forgiven. But really, the, the question I, I want to ask is how, okay? How does that happen? How does someone dying on the cross 2,000 years ago how does that change the condition of my sins? Okay. How, how did we get from point A to point B? Uh, and really, what, you know, this is the, the idea here is that Jesus died, our sins are forgiven. We, that's not really the first point, second point. That's really like the first point and the last point. And there's something that happens in between here uh, that none of those verses really described. Uh, but somehow... The death of Jesus brings about a change where our sins are forgiven, our sins are purified, uh, and that's really the difficult part, 
about atonement. Uh, the, the easy part is, is saying this is clearly what happened. But how did it happen? Okay, that's, that's what I want us to think about tonight and going over uh, the next few weeks as well. Uh, let's see. Here, here's kind of how I see things going. Okay, kind of give you a, a little look ahead here. Uh, this is still tentative. Uh, Chris had mentioned maybe a, we, have, we have five Sundays in November, maybe doing a singing Sunday in there. So if that happens, then we'll, we'll adjust this accordingly. Uh, but tonight I want to talk about this idea of Jesus as our substitute. Okay? Jesus takes our place. Okay, we're going to get into that in a minute. Uh, next week, maybe Jesus as our ransom, Jesus as our example. Uh, and then if we, we, we do have a free Sunday, I'll try to, to wrap things up and kind of pull everything together. Uh, and actually, uh, since I, I apparently have November here, uh, maybe I could share a little bit about what's going on in our work in Myanmar, uh, which is where we've been the last three years. Uh, and so there's a lot to update you guys about. And I'll go ahead and throw in a little plug here too. Uh, out, we have a table out there in the, the foyer with some updated pictures. They have magnets on the back. Uh, people still have some of our, we, have, we had made these up before we left too. Uh, but they only have two out of our family, and so this kind of updates the family situation with a new picture. And so if you want to grab one of these on the way out, and you can stick it on our fridge uh, just as a way to, to remember to pray for the work in Myanmar. Uh, so that's, that's how I see this month shaping up as we try to figure out how does the death of Jesus save us from our sins? Okay? When I want to I, this idea of substitute, I think, is really kind of our basic idea. It's our default, uh, our go-to explanation, okay? And this is, I think, for me, when I first really was able to, to think about this was as we were preparing to go to Guyana. Uh, Julie and I went to Guyana in 2008, maybe, uh, with West Ark. Uh, and really, this is the, f- the first time that I find myself trying to think about if I'm talking to someone who has no Bible background, what, what do I say about the gospel? Uh, what, what are the key points that we should let them know? Uh, and thanks to, uh, we sat down with Roy Donovan one evening. He went through his presentation and, and you know, to help uh, us think about uh, how you explain uh, the gospel to someone. And this atonement is going to play at least some part in that gospel message. And so this is, this is not necessarily uh, how, how Roy described it, but this is, I think, the kind of idea uh, that we would usually say about it here. This is our basic atonement story. Okay? You start off with the problem. Okay? Everyone has sinned. Okay? Look at Romans 3. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay? So, you know, everyone has done something wrong sometime in their lives. I'm not, I haven't killed anybody. Uh, I haven't done any of the, the big crimes, but I've, I've done things that are wrong. You've done things that are wrong. Everyone has sinned against God. Okay? The next kind of step here is to say, you know, the penalty for sin is death. And once again, we can find this in Romans, the wages of sin is death. Okay? Now, you know, when I, you know, lied to my mom, God did not strike me dead. Uh, so this is not, 
They're not talking about physical death. What, what, is he, what is going on with death here? And we say, well, this is a spiritual death. This is being separated from God. Uh, and God is holy. God is perfect. God cannot be in the presence of sin or he wouldn't be holy. Uh, so his, his holiness prevents sin from being in the same place. And so if I am a sinner, I'm going to be separated from God. And we can call that separation death. Uh, and if we think about, uh, about hell, this is just eternal separation from God as a result of sin. So this is the, the problem that we have, is that we have all sinned, and because of that sin, we are separated from God. We are in a state of spiritual death. Well, what do we do about that problem? Well, nothing we can do can address that problem. Uh, but we do see that God has, has made a way for us to, to be back in relationship with him. He's going to bring us together. He's going to atone us. And the way he's going to do that is through Jesus. Okay? Jesus commits no sin. He, lived, leaves, he lives a perfect life, the only person that could do that, and he takes our sin, he bears our sin, and he is willing to die with that sin. Therefore, we no longer have the sin. Christ has, has suffered the penalty that we deserved. Okay, we deserve to die. Christ was willing to die even though he was innocent. Okay? He takes our place. We are now without sin, and we're able to be united, reunited with God. Okay? That's the, the, the basic atonement story that I think a lot of us are already familiar with. This is, this is kind of how we, our, our minds naturally go toward uh, this idea of atonement. Okay? But what, what's interesting about this particular construction of it is that for really the first thousand years of Christianity, no one really talked this way. Uh, these are all scriptural you know, things that are based in scripture, but, but you're kind of pulling together scripture from a few different places. And really, you, know, you don't see a lot of people who have described uh, what is going on in really a, uh, like a systematic way uh, to think about this. Uh, and, you know, until about uh, 1,000 A.D., 1,000 years after Jesus. This idea of substitution really it gets attributed to, to a guy named Anselm. Uh, Anselm, you can see that handsome devil up there, uh, was born around 1033 A.D., lived uh, into the 11th century, into the, the beginning of the 12th century. Uh, Anselm is a really, really smart guy. Uh, he's, he's a guy who today is still talked about the ideas that he, he came up with. Uh, one of, one of his, his big things deals with apologetics. Uh, he has a proof for God. And it's a, it's a proof that you know, I hear it and I, I just realize I'm not smart enough to understand it uh, because it doesn't make any sense to me. But philosophers have been debating this for the last thousand years. Uh, and it, it's, it's Anselm's idea, basically. Uh, he said, uh, the fact that you can think about a being who is God proves 
that God exists. Uh, that's very simplified, uh, but that doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, but apparently, lots of really smart people, really, Christians and atheists, have really wrestled with this proof of God for the last thousand years. And some also had this, this idea for atonement, uh, and he, he, he talks about satisfaction, okay? Uh, and in his day, he's talking about God's honor being satisfied, uh, that our sin has brought shame to God, and it is only through the work of Christ that his honor is restored. So not exactly how we're talking about it tonight, uh, but it's actually interesting in a, in a place like Myanmar, where honor and shame are still really important, uh, th- that really, that understanding uh, could really speak to them. And in Anselm's day, you know, th- you know back in, in history a little ways, you have you know, people shooting each other, doing, shooting duels over honor, uh, and that's not really the way we think anymore, but in his day, that, that's offending someone's honor is a big deal. And so he has this idea of God's uh, honor needs satisfied, and Christ uh, comes in our place to satisfy his honor. Gets tweaked a little bit over the next couple hundred years. Uh, guys like John Calvin uh, really start emphasizing this substitution and really talking about this, uh, the fact that sin is breaking the law. Uh, and so you're switching from a, you know, honor and shame. Now you're, you're thinking more of uh, guilt and innocence, more of legal terminology. Uh, and and the, the view, this is not important to know, but uh, today it's called penal substitution, okay? The idea that Jesus took our place and took our penalty uh, that we deserved. And, and so it really, you know, starts with this guy named Anselm. Although we, we, we saw, it's in the Bible too, uh, but it's just the, the way that it got put together, pulling together these different threads, um, for a thousand years, there weren't a lot of Christians who were thinking that way. Yeah, we see this kind of thinking, it's reflected in our, in our hymns and our songs. Uh, this morning we sang a song, Before the Throne of God Above. It's a, it's a new song, uh, I think, but it's actually, it's actually a quite old song uh, from the 1860s. Uh, and one of the verses we sang this morning said, Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Okay? So it's getting into this, this kind of courtroom analogy that God is the, the just judge. And God cannot let his justice be compromised uh, by allowing sin. If, if he goes easy on our sins, he's not being just. Uh, and so... There must be some way to satisfy God's sense of justice. Uh, and so it's, it's Christ that comes in and, and stands in our place. Uh, and Jesus, or God looks at Jesus uh, and sees the perfect Jesus and so is able to pardon our sins. It's kind of how this song sounds to me. Another one, we, I, actually I had to request this one. Uh, we just sang it a few minutes ago. Hallelujah, what a Savior. The second verse, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Okay? 
So Christ was in my place, uh, condemned, and then I received my pardon. Okay, still working from this courtroom analogy. And I think this, this idea of substitution, that, that we are atoned because Christ took our place, I think it's a really good idea. It's got a lot going for it. I, I really like uh, a lot of the things that this has to offer us. Is, as we're going we're to keep going in a couple weeks, and we're going to see some other uh, explanations as well. But I, this one is, I think, a really good starting place. Uh, because we, we, we saw, this is definitely found in Scripture. We saw Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, 1 Peter 2.24. Uh, these are all you know, ideas that are rooted in Scripture. And that's, that's, a, that's a big uh, requirement for me. I, I want a, an explanation for atonement that, that looks back into Scripture. So I think that's, a, that's really uh, one of the biggest positives of this. Uh, and it, it really helps us understand the Old Testament, uh, that we tend to focus on the New Testament, maybe neglect the Old Testament a little bit as, you know, being a little strange, uh, being a little uh, old-fashioned seeming. Uh, but this, this idea really gets at a, a biblical theme that starts way back in the Old Testament. Uh, you think about in the book of Genesis, Abraham is asked by God to sacrifice his only son. Uh, and right before his son is killed, what happens? God provides a sacrifice in the place of Isaac. Uh, and so uh, Abraham sacrifices this animal and then names the place God provides. God provided a substitute in place of his son. Uh, we, we see in the Passover, and now moving from Genesis into Exodus, uh, the Passover is the, the, the tenth plague is God's plague to kill the firstborn throughout Egypt, the firstborn son. But it doesn't come upon the Israelites because they have special instructions. They kill a lamb, put the lamb, the, the blood of the lamb on their door, and the, the angel will pass over those houses. Uh, and so instead of their firstborn son dying, they have offered this uh, lamb, and I think it's a firstborn lamb, in the place of that child. And it, it just continues throughout the Old Testament. As you get into the law, you know, so much of the law is, is about atonement through animal sacrifice, where because this animal dies, somehow the, the guilt uh, and the, the punishment for that sin does not come upon you. And that, that continues throughout the Old Testament. And, and then the New Testament writers pick up on this. And so that's why when we're reading Hebrews, and he's talking about these Old Testament sacrifices and about how the, the, you know, the blood uh, is necessary for forgiveness, and he's thinking about Jesus and how it relates to the Old Testament. Uh, and then we, we mentioned First Peter. Uh, and, and, and this comes up a couple places too, where New Testament looks at Isaiah 53. Okay? And Isaiah 53, I think, is going to be the, our key text for substitution. Why don't we, I think we should look at that for a second. 
So Isaiah 53 is talking about this servant of God, okay? An unnamed servant of God. Uh, and, uh, you, know, not, you know, people had lots of ideas about who this servant would be. Uh, but when we read the New Testament, New Testament writers, you know, overwhelmingly recognize that this is talking about Jesus. Uh, when, when the Ethiopian eunuch is riding along, Philip uh, comes alongside him. Uh, he's reading Isaiah 53 and says, I don't understand this. And Philip explains to him, this is, this is what has just happened to Jesus. Uh, and then, as I, we already mentioned, First Peter also picks up on this same language uh, and quotes from Isaiah 53 to talk about how Jesus forgives our sins. Uh, so look at Isaiah 53, and we'll start in verse 3. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with, with grief. And like one whom men hid their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Okay? So this, Isaiah 53 is what gives us our, a couple of our big ideas of substitution uh, for what Jesus did. That, first of all, he uh, carried and bore our griefs and our sorrows, these, these bad things. Okay? He carries them, and then he is pierced for our transgressions. Okay? So he is crushed for our iniquities. Okay? So the, the punishment that we deserved has instead gone upon him. Uh, and so one thing, you know, getting back to this, this idea of the Old Testament and how it talks about atonement, the, this substitution idea is, is really big in the Old Testament and continued on into the New Testament then. And so I, I like a, a, an idea that explains atonement in sense in, that makes sense of the entire Scripture and explains, you know, what is this Old Testament here for? And here's one thing that it, it's here for, is to help us understand what Jesus is doing. Uh, and also, you know, one thing that's really good about this perspective is, is it balances justice and mercy. Okay? The, the, the whole point is God's justice cannot allow our sin to be with him. Uh, and if he, if he shows any kind of lenience for us, he would no longer be just. And so it's this, this dilemma. How do, you, how do you solve this problem of God wanting to be fair, but also wanting to love? Uh, and so th it's this, he, he has this plan that he himself will accept the punishment through Jesus. And so justice is served. The punishment is carried out, and God's justice is satisfied, but it's satisfied in a way that he has shown us his love. Uh, because instead of taking the, giving us the punishment, he has taken it himself. And so I, I think 
uh, especially today, we, we tend to, to shy away from the, the justice of God, the wrath of God. Uh, sounds very scary, sounds like a very angry God. Uh, but here we have a picture of God that is just and loving. Uh, and both of those are held up high as important qualities of God. I think that's a really good thing about this. But I, I, I do, I have some questions, okay? Uh, some things I still wonder about as we, we look at this. We'll go through, the, through a few of these, okay? Is it just for an innocent person to die for the guilty? Okay. Imagine, imagine you're in a courtroom and someone is on trial. They're a murderer, child molester. They've done all sorts of terrible things, obviously guilty. Uh, and, of course, the sentence comes back guilty. Okay. And the judge, as he's reading the, the verdict, announces... I choose, you know, you, and pick some random person and says, all right, this person is going to be executed for this person's crimes. Uh, and you say, well, that doesn't, that doesn't sound very fair. Uh, this person didn't do anything wrong, and we're just going to let this guy off? Um, that's, not, that's not the way our justice system works. Um, you know, there's, I, I don't know of any any situation where a capital offense where we can somehow transfer that, that punishment to someone else and just let the murderer go free and kill an innocent person, that, that doesn't seem like that's very fair. Uh, so is it just for Jesus to die and for me to go free? Uh, because that's, that's what this substitution idea is saying, that God's justice uh, considers that okay uh, for, for Christ to die and me to live? Just a question. Is it forgiveness if a debt is paid? Okay. Is it forgiveness if a debt is paid? Okay. If Rick owes me $20, okay, I say, Rick, you owe me $20, and he says, I, I don't have any money, sorry. Uh, and later... You know, Jim comes up to me and says, you know, here's, here's 20 bucks. It's for, for Rick. I know he doesn't have, doesn't have the money on him right now. Uh, so this is for him, okay? Can I go back to Rick and say, I've forgiven your debt? Uh, is, is, is debt forgiveness the same as debt repayment? You know, I, you have, I don't know if there's any financial people in the room, but uh, those seem like different ideas uh, that if... If a debt is paid, that's not really forgiveness. Um, and yet we have this, this parable that Jesus tells of the master who forgives this great debt to a person and apparently receives no payment for it. That's what forgiveness would imply. Uh, and the, the moral of it is to forgive other people. Uh, to not demand repayment because our master has forgiven our debt. But is it forgiveness if someone else pays for a debt? Right. Next, next question. You know, why does forgiveness require death? Um, 
And really, this, this idea comes from, we see on more than one occasion in the Gospels, Jesus says to someone, your sins are forgiven. Okay? And, you know, with the word, it seems like it's forgiven. Uh, he doesn't say your sins will be forgiven when I die on the cross. Uh, it sounds like at this moment, your sins are forgiven. And he did it just by speaking a word. And he does it uh, to the woman, the sinful woman who comes to him, forgives her sins. Uh, he, he does it again with uh, the, the paralytic who's lowered in through the roof. Okay? He forgives that man's sins and then heals him. And he did it just by speaking a word. No one had to die. Okay? And when I forgive people, I don't require any kind of blood sacrifice uh, to enact my forgiveness. I just allow myself to be wronged, and I forgive. Uh, so why is it that forgiveness requires death? Another question. Can a physical death substitute for a spiritual death? And we, we said our problem is not that our sin you know, kills us physically, although it can, uh, but it separates us from God, and this is spiritual death. When we talk about the wages of sin being death, it is a spiritual death. But Jesus died a physical death on the cross. Are those really the same thing? Uh, is a physical death, is that the same as a spiritual death? And we have to say, well, maybe, you know, maybe this was for Jesus also a spiritual death, that he, he also was separated from God. Uh, but at first we have to, we're going to have to deal with this question if we're going to keep pushing on this, uh, this idea of atonement. And, and finally, you know, what about you know, the life and the ministry of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus? You know, Jesus, if, if all he needed to do was just die, uh, why did he, he spend so much time living? Uh, and you know, what, what on earth does the resurrection have to do with it? If at the, at the cross, if our sins are forgiven, it's done, right? Uh, why, why do we need the resurrection and why do we need three years of Jesus' teaching uh, if all he had to do was just come and die and forgive our sins? Okay. So, we, we have some things to think about, I think. We're not going to answer all these questions tonight. Uh, we may not ever answer all these questions. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but, you know, remember, you remember the golf club here, okay? And what, what was... What was the lesson we were supposed to remember about the golf club? You don't, you don't play golf with one golf club. Okay? If you're going to keep pushing this idea of substitution, you're going to run into these problems. And maybe you can deal with them, uh, but you're gonna, it's going to take some work. If you're going to insist that you're going to play with one golf club, and this is going to be your explanation for, for atonement, uh, it's going to be difficult. Okay, and you know, just like you can, you could play a whole, you know, eighteen holes with this one iron. Um, you're going to have to, you know, do some work to answer these questions. I think, but I, I don't think we have to. Okay, I think we have a whole bag of golf clubs at our disposal, 
And some of those, they're going to come up with their own shortcomings, but they're going to help us deal with some of these problems as well as we think about atonement and how Jesus saved us from sin. You know, the thing here is this is the, the, the crucifixion for us. We're going to say this is the central moment in history. And this is the most important time uh, in the, the entire history of this earth. Uh, at this one moment, uh, this is where it all comes together. Okay? Now, and we would expect that at such a key central moment uh, that it's, it could be complicated. Okay? If all of history is pointing toward this thing, in, in some sense, it's going to be simple. We can say, Jesus died and our sins are forgiven. Uh, but in other senses, it's going to be complicated because we, we have to think about how exactly did that happen. And so I, I uh, am uh, getting out the first club here uh, from our, our bag. And we'll, we'll keep thinking about this over the next couple weeks uh, and trying to figure out how did Jesus' death save us from our sins. Uh, Next week, we're going to do Jesus as ransom, okay? I told you, for the first thousand years of of history, nobody talked about Jesus as substitute. This is what people talked about. They, They talked about Jesus as our ransom. And so that's where we need to, I think, go next as we think about atonement, uh, just as we wrap up tonight, uh, Lord's Supper's been prepared. It's in room 100, uh, out uh, of the auditorium and to the right. You know, we, we mentioned uh, this verse from Matthew that uh, the, the cup is the blood of Jesus uh, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And that's what we want to remember as we take the Lord's Supper. And if you would like to do that this evening... Uh, in just a moment, we'll sing a song and you can uh, be served the Lord's Supper. Uh, for the rest of us, uh, you know, this, I, I do want to emphasize, this is a key idea um, that is so central to our faith that Jesus died and we have been reconciled with God. And so that's also an invitation to anyone tonight. If you uh, feel like you are separated from God, Uh, Let us uh, talk to you about that, Uh, and uh, the church is always uh, eager uh, to uh, help people be reconciled with God. So let's let's sing a song, and if we can do anything for you tonight, uh, just let us know.